Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm your host, Nathaniel Jolly. Now, in today's episode, I want to just talk about some of the dangers inherent within the charismatic church, but I want to do that particularly by sharing a couple of people's testimonies from the charismatic church. I think oftentimes, especially in the reform camp, we tend to have the idea that the charismatic church is perhaps not quite as far-reaching as it really is, or perhaps it's not quite as dangerous as it really is. And so uh, there's a tendency to dismiss a lot of the doctrines and the things that are taught within the charismatic church in our camp, I think because, well, one, we probably don't see it as much, or at least we don't think we do. But I will tell you that over the years, having come out of the charismatic church myself, I have met in almost every reformed congregation that I've been able to interact with folks in some hints of charismatic doctrine. So whether um, that's people in the congregation who are exposed to uh, teachings by Joel Osteen or perhaps and not as likely Benny Hinn or Kenneth Copeland. Um, the truth still remains that we find charismatic doctrines, charismatic beliefs within the church. By the way, the charismatic movement is the world's largest and fastest growing segment of Christianity. And so it's important that we understand and realize just how very dangerous um, the doctrines that come out of that are. So I want to read a couple of testimonies and just kind of work through them. Now, these are from guys who are in uh, or have rather come out of the charismatic church. I'm going to leave their names off, just going to you know go through their testimony here. So here's a testimony of a young man who came out of the charismatic church, and let me just read a small part of his story. He says, and I quote, I prided myself as a worship warrior and honestly couldn't care less about doctrine. All I wanted to do was worship. The church focused more on their form of worship than they do about preaching, if you can even call it that. It was typically an hour and a half to two hours of worship and 30 minutes of preaching, and the rest of the time was dedicated to getting, quote, soaked and, quote, drunk in the spirit. It was chaotic. I realize now that it was all fleshly, all self-edifying, an addictive emotional high that we got Sunday after Sunday. But back then, I truly believed those were of the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want you to consider that for a moment. You've got an hour and a half to two hours of song. Typically, Right, The songs are geared towards an emotional hype, an emotional draw, an emotional experience. The person here, um, you, you know, characterize it as being a chaotic experience. And then they would have time after the preaching where they get, quote unquote, soaked. Now, that's a strange term for folks in, in, in the healthy church, for folks in the reform camp. Um, what they're describing here is kind of this euphoric sensation where you sort of open your mind, clear your mind and you just let whatever wants to come in 
come in and often uh, it's the experience that they would say that they've been drunk in the spirit. So you've seen probably some video clips of guys stumbling around. They can, uh, seems like they can barely speak and they're saying they're drunk in the spirit. That's what the guy here um, is describing. It's a fairly common experience in the charismatic world. This is not the rare fringe experience. And I think um, a lot of folks hear things like this and they think, oh, well, that's just, you know, the very fringe of the charismatic movement. And then you have folks who, you know, are quite are quite honestly dishonest about that fact who give credence to the movement. I think of Dr. Michael Brown, who absolutely knows better and yet denies this type of thing over and over. This is not the fringe experience. This what this gentleman has described here is the is the normal, common experience in the charismatic world. This is an everyday experience. Long extended times of music, often with the lights dimmed very low, and playing um, over, overly emotional songs with very repetitive phrases. I mean, you know, y- you can only sing Jesus Loves Me so many times um, before you just start to incite a trance-like state. And you hear that, right? If you listen to some of these worship things, they'll sit and they'll say, Jesus, oh, how Jesus loves me, oh, how Jesus loves me. And they'll do that, you know, 20 times. Um, and, and the reason is, is to create this emotional... Um, response to the music, and it does, um, and and they do that rather than uh, fostering sincere devotion to God. The worship songs, if you listen, in the charismatic church are often very humanistic. They're very much geared towards the happiness of mankind. They're not re- overly reverential, if they're reverential at all, and the focus is most certainly on you, right, as a human rather than your focus being on worshiping God. Now, after the music, uh, typically you'll get a short sermonette, which he described in in his account, and which is more, you know, motivational-style talk. Think Stephen Furtick, Joel Osteen. This is often designed, again, to stir up emotion rather than to exegete the Scripture. So you get very long time periods in music, right? Concert music, low lights, often there'll be fog machines. You've seen the stuff out there. This is common scenario in the charismatic church. It's not the fringe. Now, I also want you to take notice of just the last bit of this guy's testimony, right? They dedicated time every Sunday to getting, quote unquote, soaked and drunk in the spirit. Now, if that sounds a bit strange, a bit pagan, perhaps a bit blasphemous, well, it is. We all know the warnings against drunkenness in the scripture, right? I I just want to parse this out a bit and talk about that one particular issue that's all throughout the charismatic church, this idea of being drunk in the spirit. So we we know what scripture says, right? You go to Proverbs 20, uh, verse 1 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So drunkenness is equated with the lack of wisdom. Go to Galatians 5, 21. It says, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we understand he's not talking about sinners who are 
believers who fall into sin. He's talking about folks with a lifestyle habit of doing these things. Um, But people that do these things, that live this life, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Drunkenness is one of those things. So if the Bible is clear on the sinfulness and utter depravity of drunkenness, why would you attempt to be, quote-unquote, drunk in any capacity? Why does it seem like that's an acceptable practice? And yet, it is a practice that you'll find all throughout the charismatic church. If not in name specifically, you'll see it demonstrated in services. It seems like that the last thing you would want to do in your service is to imitate that which the scripture explicitly condemns. Those who practice these things, it says, will, quote, not inherit the kingdom of God. And yet, the charismatic church regularly promotes this idea of being drunk in the spirit. Now, where do they even get that idea? Because it sounds a bit insane. Well, many in the charismatic church would probably direct you to Ephesians 5.18, which says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, yes, it's a gross misinterpretation of the passage. Um, the, the passage is in no way suggesting that we can be drunk with the Holy Spirit instead of with wine. Although, that is what many charismatics have been taught and believe. Um, in, in fact, it's an absurd eisegetical interpretation of the text. The context of this passage makes it, um, I think, clear and most likely that Paul was referencing the practice of using alcohol in pagan rituals common to the day to induce an altered state of mind that you know, allow them to connect with their pagan deities. This was a common practice, the use of alcohol and other drugs to induce an altered state of mind. So Paul's saying that we do not do that as Christians. This is, this is all it is. He's making a distinction between the way the pagans practice communion with their demonic gods and how Christians are to live. So for the believer, communion is not helped by drunkenness. Right? Paul is rather saying that we are supposed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit's guidance through the Word of God. We're filled with the Spirit, and here that means that we live governed by Christ, governed through the Word of God. Of God, right? This is the same thing as walking in the Spirit, which is talked about in Galatians 5 16 through 22. Let me just read that to you. It says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you. Just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And there's our passage that we started with. So, clearly, being drunk is a sin. So, why would you think, right, that uh, being in a drunken spiritual stupor would be any better? Well, you wouldn't. 
in fact, we would assume that to imitate anything that God explicitly says is sinful would in itself be sinful. Now, the other verse that, and so you, that verse comes up oftentimes because this is what you're taught in the charismatic church. Oh, well, you're taught, well, the verse says, do not get drunk with wine, but rather with the, with the Holy Spirit. But clearly it's not saying be drunk with the Holy Spirit. It's a gross misinterpretation of the passage. Uh, another verse that comes up when, when you talk about this subject um, is Acts 2, 14 through 15. And let's just read that and talk through it. It says, I mean, you, you guys know this passage, right? But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and get heed to my words, for these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And the charismatics would use this, so this is... Uh, uh, the Pentecost, right, um, where they're speaking in tongues. The charismatic would use this situation to say, see, these men were filled with the Holy Spirit and and it looked like they were drunk. People even accused them of being drunk. Well, the problem is that the reason they were accusing them of being drunk was that the Holy Spirit caused these men, miraculously so, to speak in other language, right? They had, they were speaking in tongues. Well, those who were from the regions of the language being spoken could clearly understand what they were saying. But these who were accusing him, accusing them of being drunk were either naysayers who just didn't know the languages they were speaking, or, and so it sounded like babble to them, right? Or, um, like what often happened with Paul, who many accused him of being crazy. They were just accusing these men uh, of that because they didn't believe or want to believe or hear really what they had to say. Um, I mean, let's go back to the beginning and listen to the, the whole part in, in, in its context, right? So this is Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind and it filled the whole house they were sitting where they were sitting and there appeared to them tongues as a fire distributing themselves and they rested on each one of them and they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit was giving them utterance now there were jews living in jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven and when this sound occurred, the crowd came together. They were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So let me just stop right there. So these were men who were given the gift of speaking a language that they had never learned previously. All right, let me continue on. It says, they were amazed and astonished, saying, why are are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? So they were shocked that they were speaking other languages. That was not the expectation. These were Galileans. So it goes on to say, And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, they are full of sweet wine." So you've got multiple things going on here, and none of it can be confused 
with the modern charismatic practice of being slain or drunk in the spirit. First of all, these men were speaking real languages. This was not Babel, right? We we heard them. We heard the passage make that very clear. If you knew the language, the men who knew the language, they could understand it. And if they didn't know the language, and of course it might have sounded like drunken babble. So you've got men here who were all Galileans who were speaking foreign languages, and there are other Galileans, right, who were not of the Lord around mocking them because they had no idea what they were saying. This isn't a complicated issue, and you certainly can't use it to justify the modern-day practice of being slain or, by the way, the modern-day practice of speaking in tongues, right? You, you can't use this passage for that without grossly manipulating it. So, uh, that's just very simply what was doing here. In no way did these verses lead us to believe that we should be conjuring up some sort of drunken stupor, and heaven forbid, heaven forbid, we accredit that which God clearly detests, drunkenness, to the Holy Spirit, and yet, and yet, that is a common, common practice, as you heard from the gentleman's testimony um, described, right, being they dedicated every Sunday some time to being drunk in the Spirit, right? Um, If you want to know how the Holy Spirit should cause us to act, right, one really only needs to consider 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be of sober mind, be watchful, right? And it goes on to talk about how uh, Satan prowls around like a roaring roaring lion. So be sober-minded, 1 Peter tells us. And, And so that is anything but the experience that is offered in much of the charismatic church. And so, folks, the, the, the teachings in the charismatic church are so dangerous, not because um, they're just heterodox. Some of them are plain, plainly blasphemous. Some of them are, I mean, you've got heresies from centuries uh, that just creep up with different names and slightly different forms. And the reason that some of even what we might consider smaller heterodox uh, doctrines taught within the charismatic church, the reason they're so dangerous is because of the culmination of the many um, off teachings that ultimately, ultimately touch the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so just think of Bethel and Redding, California. You've got all these little um, teachings that are heterodox, that are, you know, I mean, you've, you've got every type of thing you can imagine there. Uh, you've got your just plain blasphemous stuff. You've got your heresies. You've got your heterodoxies. Um, you've got teachings that are, yeah. So you've got teachings that are all over the place there, but ultimately there's so much of that that if you follow Bill Johnson in Redding, California, you ultimately get to the Jesus that he believes and he preaches. And folks, that Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Bill Johnson is not saved should he die today outside of some uh, miraculous intervention, he'll go straight to hell. He teaches that uh, Jesus had no divinity, that Jesus emptied himself of his divinity um, and kenosis is what that is. And and so he teaches that Jesus was here just as man, and that's it. And if that's true, then you can't be saved. 
because Jesus had to die as both truly man and truly God, right? And so ultimately, all of these small errors or things that we would consider small, right, lead to big errors. That's why the charismatic church is so dangerous. It just, the ball keeps rolling downhill. You know, it's kind of, think about the church denominations that have been around that just start, start adopting a little bit of liberalism in one area, right? And it's sort of like being on top of a giant mountain of snow, and you make this little snowball, and maybe it's a poor illustration, but you get my point, right? And and you start rolling it down the mountain, and pretty soon it's this gigantic snowball, which turns into an avalanche, which takes out a whole town. Well, it was just a little snowball at the top. That's the problem with these teachings in the charismatic church. At the beginning, some of them are you know, perhaps what we would consider insignificant. Although truth is always significant and teaching error is always bad, um, but it never stops there. A little bit of liberalism ultimately leads to things like the PCUSA or Beth Moore. Um, A little bit of bad doctrine, right? Um, Or to put it in biblical language, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Uh, this stuff is extremely dangerous, and we've got to be aware of of what's happening here. So, the Holy Spirit should cause us to be sober-minded, and if anyone is promoting an experience contrary to that, which is exactly what being, quote, drunk in the Spirit is, is, is an experience contrary to sober-mindedness, then that teaching is just simply not of God. It contradicts the very written Word of God. I mean, even even the fruits of the Spirit, which are written out plainly for us in Scripture, proves that this experience of being drunk in the Spirit is false teaching, right? Listen to what the fruits of the Holy Spirit actually are as they're listed in Scripture, right? We're in Galatians 5, 22 uh, through 23, 24. It, said, um, it tells us that the fruits of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Uh, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, right? Goes on to say that against such things there is no law. Um, Now, I mean, did you catch that one fruit of the Holy Spirit, especially self-control? So since self-control is listed as a fruit of the Spirit, anything that causes you to lose your faculties or to act erratic and out of control just simply cannot be of the Holy Spirit. It just can. I mean, God doesn't contradict himself. And I mean, and it's interesting because, um, you know, the guy, and I don't think I got to that in his testimony, but he goes on to talk about how um, he didn't really care so much about teaching. Oh, no, he did say that, right? Um, going back to to quote the guy, he said, I prided myself as a, quote, worship warrior and honestly couldn't care less about doctrine. Okay, that is that is the sentiment that you would find all throughout the charismatic church. And and so, you know, if, if you were to ask a lot of folks in the charismatic church what the fruits of the spirit were well one 
I wouldn't be surprised if many just couldn't tell you at all, or they couldn't get past love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Um, They certainly wouldn't get to self-control, and if they did just happen to have that verse memorized, they certainly haven't thought through it. And that's part of a big part of the problem in the charismatic church. There's very, very little emphasis on doctrine, and in fact, there's often a de-emphasis on doctrine um, with an emphasis on experience. And so um, you hear don't check your brains at the door, but that's exactly and quite the opposite of what the charismatic church teaches, right? Leave your gray matter at the door because God doesn't need your brain. You need to open yourself up. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and lead you and talk to you. And, you know, don't let your brain get in the way. You can't put God in a box, right? Is, is kind of that mentality is what you find in the charismatic church. Accept all of that contradicts the scripture right so self-control one of the fruits of the holy spirit if something is promoting erratic out of control behavior it just simply can't be the holy spirit either either the bible is wrong or that teaching is wrong and so obviously that teaching is wrong because scripture is always correct um let let me just and, and so that's a little bit about that but let me move on to Another testimony, um, and it, today's episode would be a little bit shorter, but I, I just want to start, I'm going to do a little bit of uh, maybe a couple of these where um, we just talk about why and how some of those teachings that, that maybe the Reformed Church would deem not that big of a deal, they really are a big of a deal. They really are a big deal because eventually they start touching, like I said earlier, the person and work of Christ. And so eventually you get from just being having a little bit of charismatic or a little bit of heterodoxy, um, you know, off doctrines to... I mean, ultimately, you you get to a Bill Johnson or a Benny Hinn or a Joel Osteen, where you're no just not even Christian, right? You you're worshiping a Jesus of your own making and not one of the Bible. Well, here's another testimony from a gentleman who came out from under Joseph Prince's Joseph Prince's teaching, um, who's a rather famous charismatic preacher in Singapore. Uh, this is what he says. He says, "Quote." My life in the New Creation Church, now that's the name of Joseph, Joseph Prince's church, uh, my, my life in the New Creation Church, NCC, as a Christian revolved around Joseph Prince, not the Bible. Every single week, I would religiously purchase sermons from the previous week and listen to them. I loved those feel-good sermons because they spoke of a God who is extremely gracious and not only wants to alleviate us from the problems of this present life, but also wants to make us healthy, wealthy, and happy. All these things were promised to us the moment we become believers, so says just Joseph Prince. Through positive confession and name it, claim it, we could speak blessings into existence. Health, wealth, and happiness became the yardsticks to measure one's faith. This was the infamous prosperity gospel that Joseph Prince preached week after week. Since one of the Taoist gods I used to worship was Kai Shen, the Chinese god of wealth, you can see it was not hard for me to embrace the prosperity gospel Jesus. 
which in reality is the same demonic spirit behind Kai Shen. Seeing the church speak in tongues did not shock me, because in Buddhism and Taoism, tongues are also spoken, and both gibberish languages sound exactly similar. I spoke tongues at NCC not because I could, but because it was easy to fake it, and it helped me fit into the crowd. Wow. I mean, if you'll just notice how many similarities there are between the charismatic teachings and other pagan worship practices, it's far easier to see why it's so perilous. Just notice that um, the speaking in tongues that he experienced under Joseph Prince's ministry, he says, was exactly like the tongues that Buddhism and Taoism speak. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Okay, uh, let's just reason through that together. And I mean, you already know where I'm going here. Um, but in case you've never thought about that, what we're saying is that uh, the charismatics idea of speaking in tongues is supposed to be a gift by the Holy Spirit, right? By the way, there was a real gift of tongues in scripture. We mentioned that earlier, but it was um, a supernatural gift of being able to speak a real human language that had not been previously learned. Uh, what is often done in the charismatic church um, is nothing more than making up and stringing together ver- you know, various syllables, and it's just gibberish, okay? Um, so, but w- what he's saying is that it sounded exactly like and was exactly like what he experienced in Buddhism. So, are we saying that the Holy Spirit is also giving Buddhists and Taoists the ability to speak in tongues? Because that creates a whole other big theological problem, right? Uh, and, and yet, you know, that's what's happened. That, that It's not just that, right? Um, I mean, there's the kundalini stuff, and there's various uh, forms of um, religious practices in India that share huge similarities to what happens in the charismatic church. None of it's godly. Certainly, we aren't saying that the Holy Spirit is gifting and giving, uh, you know, these other religions the same thing he's given believers and and yet that is inherently the conclusion you have to come to if you're in the charismatic church and you really think through that so the similarities are scary um but this isn't just true in the asian or african cultures um both of those cultures lend themselves to the prosperity gospel very well because it it fits in right because of what he himself said it 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 matches a lot of what their own pagan gods offer so hey um you know he worshiped a god of wealth and here you come along the prosperity gospel is just another god of wealth so hey no problem it's equally as dangerous, however, here in America. Well, what do you mean? Um, you know, I think guys like um, Kenneth Copeland sort of losing his audience a little bit. Um, not fast enough for me, but think about the fact that Joel Osteen has the largest church in America. That ought to be shocking. Well, maybe it's not shocking. Um, you know, we, we know the... Folks will, with 
they'll find teachers to tickle the ears, right? But just to clarify, Joel Osteen's not a pastor. Um, he's a circus conductor leading a train of clowns straight to hell, and he's taking their audience with him if he can. So anyway, um, but why is this church so large? Well, it's because he preaches the American dream gospel, not the gospel of Jesus Christ. He teaches wealth, health, and prosperity with no need for repentance or obedience, and this is what our sinful flesh wants. Right? This is the type of stuff that you find in the charismatic church. Now, there's some, um, there's so many parts of the charismatic church that overlap. You've got the word of faith stuff. You've got the prosperity gospel. You've got the new apostolic reformation. You find bits and pieces uh, of them in, in different sections, all kind of under the heading of charismatic. Uh, what we're not talking about would, would be guys who were reformed in their soteriology and who are continuationists. Those are not the guys we're talking about. We're not talking about your Wayne Grudem's, your John Piper. Uh, we put those in a different category. Those guys are actually the fringe. They're the rare occurrence. What we're talking about is what is most of the charismatic experience. Um, but but this is what these guys teach, and it's what the flesh wants. It appeals to the flesh. And so, hey, I mean, why wouldn't a Buddhist come over to the prosperity gospel? Because he's basically already worshiping. I mean, they speak in tongues. You got the charismatic church that speaks in tongues. It looks exactly the same. It's familiar. There's no call to repentance. There's no call to, you know, worship Christ alone. There's no call to any of that. Um, in, in the case of our gentleman here, right, so he was a Taoist, and uh, yeah, you know, he worshipped Kai Shen, the Chinese god of wealth, so it's exactly what these other guys preach. It's extremely dangerous. Um, the charismatic church just offers, you know, what what the flesh wants, emotional highs and flesh-pleasing experiences that often lead to sinful behavior and even blasphemy. Look, to accredit drunkenness to the Holy Spirit is blasphemous. We ought to take that extremely serious because what we're implying is that that which God deems not only sinful but says those who practice this will not inherit the kingdom of God, we are saying the Holy Spirit is making people do that very thing. Uh, It's that serious. I think we tend to not consider it that way. But that's the truth. Um, the idea of speaking things into it, I mean, just carrying on with this guy's testimony, right? Joseph Prince, the idea of speaking things into existence. Again, it's absolutely absurd, and yet it is commonplace in the charismatic church in various forms and fashions. Um, and and this, this idea of speaking things into existence, it comes in part from what's known as the little God's doctrine. You've probably heard about it. I think uh, Justin Peters has some really great teaching on that. Go check out his YouTube channel. Um, you can go to his website, justinpeters.org, I think it is, and, and view his stuff. But he's been studying this stuff for decades. He really um, has condensed it down explains it extremely well, spends a lot of time in Scripture so that you can see the truth of what's going on. But anyway, um, so this this little God's doctrine, well, it's exactly what you think it might be. It teaches that you are a 
little God. And they kind of uh, justify, they kind of use the passage that talks about how we're made in the image of God, like we, we realize that we are made in the image of God, right? The Imago Day. And so, but they would take that passage, twist it, and say, well, so there you go. If you're made in the image of God, you must be like God. And if you're like God, then you must be a God. But you're a little God. Uh, but you can still do what God can do, namely speak things into existence. Kenneth Copeland's probably one of the most well-known propagators of this doctrine, but they're all throughout the charismatic circles. Um, sometimes it's just outlandish things like Kenneth Copeland, who says he can speak to the atmosphere. Um, I mean, we did a podcast, uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago on COVID prophets, where we talked about how Kenneth Copeland said that he blew with the wind of God. He blew the wind of God at COVID and it went away, right? So that kind of, but that's where that comes from. The idea of you can control the atmosphere, you can control weather, you can control all these things. It's a heinous doctrine. Um, but Kenneth Copeland is the only one. It comes in all throughout the charismatic church in, like I said, various forms. But here's the reality. There's only one God and we aren't, we're not it. We can't control the weather. We can't speak things into existence. That power belongs to God and God alone. You know, they also twist the passage that talks about, you know, there's power in our words and things like that. Um, but but this is what's taught within the charismatic church. And, and what, you, what we need to understand is that it's all throughout the charismatic uh, church, right? These types of things are the normal things that are taught in the charismatic church, Right, uh, so they can be taught with different intensities in in one place or another. Um, you you get some places that are, you know, more whacked out than others. But this stuff is what happens in the charismatic church. Um, but but it's not just in the charismatic church. This stuff creeps into all of Christianity because it is the exposure is so great. I mean, one of the um, I, I just found out recently that um, Costi Hinn, who is Benny Hinn's nephew, um, is putting together a network of stuff, and they just launched a new uh, ministry. I'm really excited to see uh, what all that looks like because I mean, Costi Hinn also. You know, he was a part of Benny Hinn's network, uh, ministered with him for a long time. I know he's still, you know, praying for his uncles uh, coming out of that movement, and I join him in that. But um, it, it, it'd be good because it, we need more exposure of just how dangerous the charismatic stuff is because they're everywhere. I mean, everywhere you turn around, and even in the Southern Baptist Convention, we've got, you know, big players like Beth Moore um, who thinks that God speaks to her directly. And tells her to do crazy things like brushing a stranger's hair in an airport or building snowmen or, you know, walking through the woods and talking to her like he's her boyfriend. That's, that is charismatic stuff, right? The, that idea that there's special revelation, that God's speaking to you uh, privately, personally, and outside of scripture, it's extremely dangerous, because if God did, in fact, tell Beth Moore to do something and you say that's not true, then effectively you're calling God a liar. Yeah, that's why it's so dangerous, right? It pits you in disagreement against God. Um, and so it, this stuff creeps in all over the place. 
but all that to say, I, and so our, our point is not to just condemn those charismatic teachers who are teaching these egregious doctrines by choice. And the reason our point is not to condemn them is because they know better and they're already condemned, right? They're false teachers. They're wolves among the sheep. We don't mind calling them out. Men like Kenneth Copeland, Rick Joyner, Todd White, Todd Bentley, Creflo Dollar, Joseph Prince we've talked about, T.D. Jakes, Joel Osteen, and so forth and so on. Honestly, I put Beth Moore in that same category. She is extremely damaging to the body of Christ, mostly because she's in open defiance against the Word of God, but she's also adopted a lot of this charismatic stuff over the years. There are a lot of other problems. So, The point is, we do these podcasts because we want to plead with those who are like the two men from whom we shared stories, except maybe they're still in the charismatic church. And we want to plead with them, with you, if that's you, to come out of that movement and find biblical churches that teaches the Word of God and shuns emotionalism and shuns worldliness and elevate scripture to the very word of God because that's what it is and treats it as such who preaches not from emotional platitudes but from the Bible that's why we do this podcast so if you genuinely love God if that's you then you simply can't ignore the fact that what the charismatic church teaches is not only dangerous but at odds with God's own word you just can't ignore that fact And if you need help finding a church, then just email us and we'll get you some resources that will help you locate a healthy church in your area. Um, We can get you some material that teaches on these topics or get you access to some things. Uh, We'll make that happen. So if you've come out of the charismatic church, by the way, I'd love to hear your story. Um, Or if you have any questions or comments or you're looking for a healthy church or you're wanting to come out of the charismatic church, just email us. Uh, You can email us at truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. Truthbeknownpodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. We'd love to help you on that journey to uh, finding a faithful church, to finding a biblical church, and uh, otherwise we'd just love to hear your story, so please do email us. Thank you guys for listening to today's show. We love you. We appreciate you. We hope that this has been helpful. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.